0: Hello, my name's Ebony and today's Bible passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, so you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in a meat market without raising questions of conscience. Four, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved.
1: Good morning, my name is Stephen. Did you know that apparently this week there was an earthquake at Borough? Some people in Adelaide said they felt it, but but I didn't. I missed it completely. But I reckon the whole situation with COVID-19 has been kind of like an earthquake that no one has missed. It's shaken up everyone. And have you noticed the way COVID-19 has has wobbled some of our culture's idols? I reckon it's made a lot of people realise that what they were living for is maybe not as secure as they thought it was. Today, today, We return to a letter in the Bible that's written by Paul to a church in Corinth in Greece in about AD 53. And this is a church which is in a city that in a lot of ways is quite like Adelaide and in other ways is very different. It's different because they had temples and religious practices that we just don't have in our culture. And and they face quite a lot of social pressure and business pressure and, and family pressure to at least look like they were serving these idols. They're different to us because they had literal idols. But just because we don't have temples, don't think we don't have idols. Wherever we look to something or someone to give us what only God can give us, whether it's security or purpose or joy... Wherever we've made something or someone the meaning of our lives, that's an idol for us. And in our culture, in our city, all around us, we're surrounded by these kinds of idols. And we feel the pressure to live for them. I reckon for many people, COVID-19 has put the spotlight for us on, on some of these idols. And it's shown us some of their weaknesses. Think about it. If someone's idol is related to money or work or that sort of thing, COVID-19 has well and truly shown us that this idol has got some serious weak spots. See, what happens when when you could be stood down or lose your job completely and you're unable to find work? What do you live for then? Without work, without money. A few weeks back, there were a lot of people who were feeling like their world was about to come crashing down on top of them. Or for those whose idols got to do more with entertainment or pleasure, then the restrictions around travel and going out expose some of the weaknesses in that idol. If life's all about entertainment and experiences, what happens when the entertainment dries up and the experiences aren't so good? Or for those whose idols got more to do with health or well-being or families, Again, COVID-19 was like an earthquake that for a while there had many people worried that their love in life, their security, their meaning in life was in danger of coming crashing down on top of them. Now, thankfully, things are looking a lot better for us here in Australia, although we've probably got a fair bit of pain still ahead of us, at least economically. But don't miss what was going on in this moment. For a couple of weeks, we saw idols wobbling all around us, either in the hearts of our friends and family or in our own hearts. We might not be surrounded by literal statues of idols like they were in Corinth, but we are absolutely surrounded by by idols in our culture. And even though God alone is the true God, and He alone will never topple or let us down, even still, Just like the Corinthians, we feel the pressure to chase after the idols of our day, to love them, serve and give our lives to them. Which is why the letter of 1 Corinthians is so relevant to us. Because it shows us how to live as those who know and love God in a city that knows and loves all sorts of things in the place of God. It shows us how to be undivided, in our devotion to God. Last year we looked at chapters 1 to 9 of this letter and today we pick up things again in chapter 10. And this chapter brings to a close a question that that started in chapter 8. The church in Corinth wrote to Paul and basically said, what should we do about food that's been sacrificed to idols? Should we eat it or not? Even though we've probably never experienced this problem ourselves, we can put We can put ourselves in their shoes. They live in this city where just about everything is centered on idols. Business relationships, family relationships, entertainment, even sex, and even buying everyday food is centered on the temples. And that presents them with a problem. And the problem goes like this. They know Epaphrodites is not really a goddess. They know Apollo is not really a god at all. So what does it really matter if they eat food that's been offered to these idols, which are nothing? It doesn't. They know they're free to do that. But here's the problem. Some followers of Jesus are saying, but hang on a minute. We shouldn't be eating stuff sacrificed to idols. Now that all sounds well and good, but it's not like they can just buy meat at Woolies or Audi instead. It's either meat bought in the markets, which is almost definitely sacrificed to idols, Or it's vegetarianism, and not many people want that for some reason. And they've tried to explain, hey, it's just food that God has made. It doesn't mean anything. But no matter how much they try to explain, some people still feel like it's wrong. And so the church has written to Paul to say, what do you reckon? Are we free to eat this meat or not? But what we saw last year when we were looking at chapters 8 and 9 is that Paul doesn't just write back yes or no. He writes back three chapters about it. And in these three chapters, he still doesn't say yes or no. What he says is there are much bigger principles that will govern how they make their decisions about this issue and all kinds of issues. He gives them principles That don't just apply to this question, but apply to the whole way they live their lives. And this is important for us to see, because it's it's kind of tempting just to think with this complicated part of the Bible, how is all this stuff relevant to me today? But the thing is, the principles that Paul gives them apply just as much to us today as they did back then. We're going to cheat and jump straight to these principles. We see them summarized right at the end of this whole discussion in chapter 10, verse 31. Have a look at it. Paul writes So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is huge. Paul is saying they've got the wrong question. Instead of asking, Am I free to eat meat sacrificed to an idol? The question they need to be asking in this situation and in every situation is, does what I'm doing bring glory to God? That's the first principle that, that guides how we should make decisions in life. And we see the next principle in verse 32. Paul writes, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone... In every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. And here's the principle so that they may be saved. How does Paul decide what to do? He decides what to do based on what's going to help people be saved, based on what's going to lead someone closer to Jesus rather than lead them away from him. And then finally he says in 11 verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How should we make decisions about what we do in life? Paul says, do what you do for the glory of God and the salvation of people. And what this means is that we will freely give up our freedoms, we'll give up our rights for God's glory and so that people will be saved. Just like Paul Just like Jesus. Now, I've just explained chapters 8, 9, and 10. Using these principles, Paul's focus is on followers of Jesus in chapter 8. His focus is on how he lives this out in all he does in chapter 9. And today, we're going to very quickly look at how we see these principles at work in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a bit like Paul shaking the ground to see if we have any hidden idols. It's like he's asking us, are we really living for God and His glory? He starts by talking about God's people in the Old Testament and how even though they saw God do some amazing things, still they chose the idols of their day over God. And the reason Paul's writing about all this to the Corinthians is he's saying to them, Be careful not to kid yourself. Remember, they're asking, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols since idols are nothing anyway? And what we see here is that part of Paul's answer is just be careful not to kid yourself. Look at verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Paul's saying they saw God's wonders. You've seen seen God's wonders. They drifted to idols. Nonetheless, you need to watch out. You don't do the same. Look at verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. See that? Standing strong today is not a good predictor that will be standing strong tomorrow. What's a good predictor? That today and every day, we're careful not to fall. In other words, that we're not kidding ourselves. If we ever think that we're above finding the idols of today appealing, then we're in danger of falling. The idols of our day are idols because they're so appealing. If you can't see how they are attracting you, if you can't see where you're at risk then you're at risk of falling. Paul is saying to these Corinthians, be careful not to play with fire. Be careful in your heart. You're not dabbling in things. Don't overestimate your strength. Have you heard that marriages that are the strongest aren't those where people think, I would never have an affair. Marriages that are the strongest are where people think, I could have an affair. So I better make sure that I don't play with fire or dabble in things. You stand firm in your marriage by being careful to keep investing in your marriage. And it's like that with God. We shouldn't play a fire. We shouldn't dabble in a bit of living for idols. Because step by step, we might actually find ourselves having replaced God. And if we do that, there's no hope for life in the long run without God. There's only God's judgment ahead of us. That's really what the next section in chapter 10 is about. Paul says, we can't throw our lot in with Jesus, but then dabble on the side with throwing our lot in with other things. In fact, it's more than that. If we love Jesus, we'll want to make every effort to be true and and faithful to him. And idols... Might be nothing, but behind idols, behind the temptation to replace God is a very serious spiritual battle. The devil uses beautiful and wonderful things to try and tempt you and me to be unfaithful to God. So bringing all this together, Paul is saying to them, Be careful not to kid yourself. Food's not the problem. The danger lies in your heart. Why are you eating? Are you actually playing with fire? Are you actually dabbling in idolatry? Is it the acceptance of people you want? Is that why you're eating? Is it success in business? Is it family you're trying to keep happy? Is that the real reason you're eating? And as you eat, are you actually caring more and more about those things and less and less about Jesus? They live in a very different world to us. But still, can you see just how relevant this message is to us? The idols of today, that there's heaps like living for pleasure, maybe expressed through drugs or alcohol or living for overseas holidays or experiences on the weekend or sports or sex or whatever calls the shots in our lives. Just like food sacrificed to an idol, none of these things in and of themselves are bad. All of them are beautiful in different ways. But when we don't enjoy them as gifts alongside God, the giver, when we want to enjoy them without God's input in the place of God, then we start to dabble in things that will lead us to eventually turn away from God forever. So like them, we shouldn't kid ourselves. Paul says, flee from idolatry. Don't dabble, flee. Are you doing that? And it's especially important to take this seriously right now. Because we're not seeing each other face to face right now. The beautiful and and the annoying thing about family is that they'll happily tell you when you're kidding yourself. And church is family, but... Because we're not seeing each other every week face to face, it's much easier for us to kid ourselves right now to dabble in loving other things more than God. Don't. It will only end in sadness and hurt, and it could even end in being cut off from God forever. Can I just say, the Christian life is not a journey where where we daily pat ourselves on the back for standing firm. It's a journey where we daily admit our hearts are intensely attracted to replace God. And we we daily turn away from that and turn back to God. So, what are the things you're tempted to dabble in living for right now? Is it work? Is it collecting experiences? Is it family? Is it acceptance? Is it image? Is it comfort? Are these things shaped by walking alongside God or are they moments where we are replacing God? Very briefly, let's come back to their issues because Paul finally gets very practical in this next bit in chapter 10. And he says, if you're careful not to dabble in idolatry and you just want a piece of steak to slap on the barbie, go for it. You don't have to grill the butcher to find out where the meat came from. None of that matters. Meat's not the issue. But still, the guiding principle is not, I'm free to do whatever I want, therefore I will. The principle is still what glorifies God. What helps people come to know Jesus. And so, Paul lays out a scenario where you're invited by your mate to dinner. And he says, Paul says, you don't have to grill your mate about about what they're serving. You can just eat it. But, if dinner's being served... And you're just about to eat and you say, thanks heaps for having me round, And your mate says, no worries. I'm just glad you don't mind eating a steak that's been sacrificed to my God, Apollo. I was worried you might be one of those Christian fanatics who are all like, it's Jesus or it's nothing. What are you going to do in that situation? Well, Paul tells you in verse 28. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Paul says we wouldn't eat that meat, not because of how it would make you look. It's not about your purity. It's about the person who's giving you dinner. We'd say, actually, I am one of those Christians who lives just for Jesus. So thanks so much for cooking this but I'm just going to stick with the zucchini and and the Brussels sprouts. How do you reckon that scenario would go down? It'd be pretty awkward, I'm guessing. And yet Paul says, that's what you're to do for that person's sake, even though skipping the meat does nothing for you. Paul is saying, if you ate the meat, you'd be saying to them, oh yeah, you're right, Jesus isn't that much of a big deal. And so Paul is saying, give up your freedoms, to speak their language and tell them, no, Jesus is a huge deal. Now this is so challenging if we understand the principles. I don't imagine we'll ever face a scenario exactly like this. But do we ever find ourselves tempted to just let something slide and not worry too much if people think we're not taking Jesus all that seriously? We sometimes make the mistake of thinking the way we tell people that Jesus is a huge deal is by avoiding awkward situations. But I don't think that's what Paul's saying at all. We sometimes think the way to say Jesus is a huge deal is by being all nice, nice and never rocking the boat. But I'm pretty sure that this dinner party is rocking the boat. It's wobbling some idols for sure. I know some Christians act like the way to represent Jesus is to be an annoying, in-your-face idiot. And Paul's not saying that either. What he is saying is that the way to represent Jesus is to live out these principles that he's giving us. So whatever you do or don't do, think, what's going to bring God glory in this situation? What's going to show that Jesus is a huge deal? What's going to help this person take God seriously rather than hinder them from taking him seriously? Is that how you think? I know for me, I'm more likely to think what is going to make following God seem intelligent or what's going to make following God seem appealing or convenient, what will make it seem nice. But that's not what's going to help the other person to honor, uh, to come to know God or to honor Him. We should think what brings God glory, what shows that Jesus is a huge deal. I'm not saying this is easy. But what I will say is the more we desire God's glory, the more we live for that, the more we make every decision according to these principles, then the more natural this becomes for us and the more we become like Jesus. Are your decisions in life shaped by what brings God glory? All of them, where you live, who you marry, how you work, how you parent. Are your decisions in life shaped by what helps others be saved? what you do with your time, how you act at work, how you show that Jesus is a big deal, not a small deal, how you're even willing to find yourself in awkward situations if that's going to help the other person. This is hard. We're called to freely give up our freedoms for God's glory so that other people can be saved. If you're watching today not a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, I don't know that I could ever give up living for all those other things, to just live for Jesus only. If that's you, can I say you're wrestling with the exact right question? And I would encourage you to keep wrestling with it. And I can tell you, if you get to that point where you see Jesus clearly for yourself, you would absolutely give up living for those other things without a second thought all those other things that we could live for that have been shaken a little bit by COVID-19, they just can't compare to what you'll find in Jesus if you go looking. Tomorrow night, some of us are going to go looking, actually. We're going to be running Christianity Explored via Zoom where we'll investigate Jesus. Why don't you come along? And if you like it tomorrow night, come again the next week and keep exploring. Let us know if you'd like to join us by sending an email to Coops.